You can take your Bibles. You can remain standing, actually, and go to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. We'll read our text tonight and then get into the message. Um, where we've been is that God has sent Moses and Aaron in to uh, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh refused. Pharaoh made life very hard, very difficult on the children of Israel. They were discouraged brought their discouragement to Moses. Moses and Aaron had no help to offer. Moses brings it to God, and God gave him just the encouragement that he needed about the redeeming work that God was going to do for them. And Moses is now supposed to take that message of God's redemption, the fact that God was going to free them, redeem them, adopt them, and give them the promised land as an inheritance. He's to take that encouraging message to the children of Israel. And so we're going to begin our reading in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 9. And we're actually going to cover through chapter 7 and verse 7 tonight. So Exodus chapter 6 and verse 9. And Moses spake so unto the children of Israel. It means he gave them the message of redemption that God had for them. But they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Go in, speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that he let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spake before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am of uncircumcised lips? And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, and gave them a charge unto the children of Israel and unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now it's going to seem to take a random break here to give us a genealogical record. Instead of reading all of it, I'm just going to read the, the really the one that we're supposed to get. Read a few verses here. Verse 14 will give the sons of Reuben, and then verse 15 will give the sons of Simeon. I want you to look at verse 16. It says, These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Now I want you to look down at the next focus, verse 18. And the sons of Kohath, Amram. Now look at verse 20. And Amram took Jochebed, his father's sister, to wife, and she bare him Aaron and Moses. Now I want you to look down at verse 23. And Aaron took him Elisheba, daughter of Amminadab, sister of Nashon, to wife. And she bare him Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. Now look at verse 25. And Eleazar, Aaron's son, took him, one of the daughters of Putiel, to wife. And she bare him Phinehas. These are the heads of the fathers of the Levites, According to their families, these are that Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, according to their armies. These are they which spake to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are that Aaron, Moses and Aaron. Then it's going to pick up where we left off in verse 13 and reiterate that God tells him, go speak before Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, or Moses says, I'm of uncircumcised lips. Israel wouldn't listen to me. Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. God's response is given in chapter seven and verse one. And the Lord said unto Moses, 
See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. And Moses was fourscore years old, and Aaron fourscore and three years old, when they spake unto Pharaoh. The title of our message tonight is this, Confidence to Go Forward. Confidence to Go Forward. May God bless his word tonight. You can be seated. On a Monday, before Jenna went back to school today, we decided to take a little uh, quick family investment time on Monday and Tuesday. We uh, went up to Dillon and uh, had a good time there in the Vale area for a couple days and, and uh, spent some time at Dillon Reservoir there. And then on Tuesday, we took the kids down to Leadville to go to the National Trout uh, Fish Hatchery. And, uh, you know, at this fish hatchery, you walk up there, you can go inside, you can see them kind of working with the, this tiny little fish, but outside they've got these like probably 50 to hundred foot long, uh, concrete embankments. And inside of those is, is just tons of fish. I mean, hundreds of fish. It's really incredible, uh, to see. And you've got some that'll have fish trout that are between, you know, four to six inches. And then others will have them where they're about eight to 10 inches. And it's the place where they stock all of our lakes and our streams here in the state of Colorado. And so we got to go to that. We were outside checking out these fish embankments and, and, or contain containment areas. And, uh, they had a, a long one that was up higher and then it would drop down a level and the water would flow kind of like a waterfall uh, down into the next level. And so in the upper level, uh, you had some a uh, little bit larger ones, probably the six to eight inch range. And then down in the lower one, you had the ones that were maybe four or five inches, just little things. And we noticed as we were taking this in, that there was a ton of the little fish that were trying to jump up this waterfall to get back into the, the calmer waters. And that's part of their instinct that God's given them, that trout, they, they swim upstream to spawn. They swim upstream to get better oxygen uh, or just to uh, be able to have calmer water. And so they'll often sh swim upstream and they'll jump up waterfalls. You know, you'll probably see the, the famous portraits of bears right there at a waterfall. And what they're doing is they're grabbing and catching those fish as they're jumping up the stream. And so that's what we're seeing. And it was a lot of trial and error for these little guys. They were, they would swim up to that waterfall and then you just see them. I mean, just jumping one after the other, after the other, trying to make it up that fall into that uh, calmer area. And so 
they're doing this and sometimes the water would weigh them and push them back down. Sometimes they jump and run into another fish and flop over. Sometimes their trajectory wouldn't be quite right and they would dive through the water and just smack into the concrete and then land again. And so we're watching this over and over again and they're trying and they're trying and they're trying and they're unsuccessful in getting up there and they're just constantly whacking themselves into each other and whacking their heads into the wall just trying to do what God had put in them to do. That's how it can feel like sometimes when you're trying to follow God. It's like you're swimming upstream, you know, and the the momentum is going against you. The waves, the tide is going against you. And you can feel like you're smacking your head into a wall time and time and time again, trying to do what God wants you to do. And yet it just doesn't seem to be working out. It could be a step that God is calling you uh, to take. Maybe he's led you through uh, the Holy Spirit, through your Bible reading or through your prayer time. It might be a a step to take towards your spouse in repairing your marriage relationship. It could be uh, a step uh, toward freedom from anger, from lust, from addiction. It could be a step toward witnessing, toward sharing your faith with others or a step toward giving or a step toward ministry. It's like you're swimming upstream with a huge waterfall to jump. Everything's going against you. And it's like you're just doing the same thing over and over again to no avail. And what can happen is you can lose confidence. You can lose confidence in what God wants you to do. Is this really what God wants me to do? Or you can get to the place where you just say, I can't do what God wants me to do. And you can find yourself in that situation. What you need in those moments is to have your confidence restored. And the question tonight is this, how can we find confidence to continue going forward in what God wants us to do, even when it doesn't seem like it's working? How do we find that confidence? Israel is discouraged because the way that following God's plan is making life harder on them. Moses is discouraged by the way it appeared that God isn't doing what he said he would do. Last week, we saw that God encouraged Moses by pointing them to his redemptive purposes. He assured them of his plan to free them, to uh, redeem them, to adopt them, and to give them the inheritance in Canaan. And so with renewed courage, what we read tonight is that Moses goes to the children of Israel, and, and I'm sure he, you know, he's got this jolt of courage now. He's ready to go and tell them about what God has said, God's plan of redemption, and he's excited about it. But it says that when he comes to give them the message that God wants them to have, they would not listen to him. Well, then God comes and says, I want you to go and speak to Pharaoh now. And Moses says, if my people won't listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me? And what you can tell is that, I mean, talk about a roller coaster adventure of ministry here for Moses, that he's, he's excited about God's deliverance. And then he goes and stands before Pharaoh. Pharaoh makes life miserable for everyone. Now he's down in the pits of discouragement. Israel's coming against him and Aaron and, and he's going before God and pouring out his complaint. And God gives him these encouraging words of redemption. And then he's excited to go and tell them and poof, they just shoot him down. And now God's like, go before Pharaoh. And he says, there's no point in this. There's no point in this. And yet by the time we came to chapter seven and verse seven, what did we read? 
Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded, so did they, for emphasis, twice. And so they went and they stood before Pharaoh and then starts the narrative of the plagues. They went and did what God told them to do. The question is, what changed? What changed? When his confidence was in the pits here in the beginning of chapter 6, what changes that so encourages him and gives him the confidence to go and stand before Pharaoh once again and demand Israel's release? And how can you and I have the confidence that we need to go forward with God's plan, especially in those times when it doesn't seem to be working? Well, before we can understand where we find the confidence to go forward, we got to understand where we won't find the confidence to go forward. And the first thing we need to understand is that you won't find the confidence to go forward with God's plan in you. You won't find the confidence in yourself. Uh, what we find here is that Moses has no confidence in his ability to go forward. The message of God's redemptive purposes fell on deaf ears. It says in verse 9, And Moses spake so, he gave the message to the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. That phrase, anguish of spirit, it literally means shortness of breath. You ever been out of breath before? That can be frustrating, <laughs> wearisome. When I was a youth pastor, we took some teens to hike Mount Beerstad, and, and I enjoy hiking some, and I've hiked a couple of uh, different peaks. So there's something about my body. I do okay until about 12,000 feet. Once you get up above the trees, the oxygen is much lower, and then I, I just can't hardly breathe, and I've got to take a, take a break like every 25 feet going up uh, these mountain peaks, and you just get to that point where you're so exhausted and it's so difficult and challenging to catch your breath, you don't even want to continue climbing. That's really where the nation of Israel is at here. That they've been on this climb. They've been swimming upstream. They've been making their way up this mountaintop to God's plan. And they come to the place where it's gotten so grueling and so challenging that they're at the place where they're short of breath. They can't breathe anymore. They've, they've ascended the heights to elevations that they can't handle on their own. In fact, they are so discouraged that they won't even listen to the encouragement that God wants them to have. You ever been there before? You're so disheartened. You're, you're so uh, low on confidence that, that you can't even pull yourself together to read your Bible to pull yourself together to go to church and, and hear a message. I think around the time when, when uh, somebody dear and dear to you passes away and you, maybe that happens on Friday or Saturday and you're thinking about going to church and you're just so out of breath by the, the overwhelming nature of that that you can't even pull yourself to sing, you can't pull yourself to hear, to listen, or to receive the encouragement that you need. That's exactly where Israel is at right now. They're struggling the more they do what God says, the more difficult the bondage gets. They're climbing this mountain in ways they can't handle. They refuse the encouragement that God is offering them. And now we find Moses is defeated once again. The people won't listen to him. 
And now God comes to him in verse 11, and he says, go and speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that he let the children of Israel go out of this land. And Moses spake before the Lord, saying, behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am of uncircumcised lips? Now he's back to making his old excuses again. I can't speak publicly and my own people won't even listen to me. Why should I go and stand uh, before Pharaoh? What you find here is that Moses could not go forward as long as he was looking to himself. As long as he was looking to his past failures, as long as he was looking to uh, his struggles to to speak and his incapacities as he sees his uh, his lack of ability, he's not finding the confidence that he needs. You know, we all tend to struggle with either a lack of confidence or sometimes an overconfident spirit, a self-confidence. In the 1900s, there's a boxer named James Tillis, a famous boxer, and he goes to Chicago for a big fight. He gets off the train and he sets his bags down. He takes in the scenery and he looks at the Sears Tower and he says, I'm going to whoop this city. And he goes to grab his bags and they were gone. (laughs) So he had already taken him. He got hijacked there, thought he was going to whoop the city. See, sometimes that's how we are. We can walk into a situation and we could say, I've got this. I've got this handled. I can get myself out of this jam. My, my, my finances are sufficient and my education is sufficient. And my wisdom and experience is sufficient. And we come to this situation of our life and we say, I've got this. And before we know it, we don't have it. We fall short and we end up in a place then where instead of being overconfident, we have no confidence whatsoever. There are times when you can feel like you failed God, that you've missed a lot of church lately or that you can't stay awake during your Bible reading. You can't stay awake during your prayer time or, or studying the Bible to, to preach even is a struggle and, and you just feel like you should be doing better than you are when it comes to witnessing. You know that you should be sharing the gospel with people and you just feel like such a failure because you struggle so much at it. You struggle with being a right kind of husband You feel like a failure of a husband or a a failure of a wife or a failure of a parent, a failure of a son or daughter to your parents. You may still be enslaved to sin. Anger still gets the best of you. Or it might be that this last weekend you thought, well, I'm going to go out with my buddies, but I'm just going to have one. I'm just going to have one. And one turns into two, and two turns into three, and it multiplies and compounds. And the next thing you know, you woke up the next morning having no idea how you got home. And you're just thinking, I can't believe I did that again. Can't believe it. Lust. I can't believe I looked at that again. I can't believe I went to that website again. I can't believe that I went to that app again. You get to the place where you're just thinking, I've had too many failures. They're stacked up. I don't have the ability to do what God's called me to do. I don't have the ability to get rid of these things in my life that God's called me to get rid of. There's nothing in me that can get it done. I'm just trying to tell you this. The confidence that you need to go forward with God's plan is not going to be found in yourself because our confidence is easily shaken, easily shaken. Moses thought there's no point in speaking to Pharaoh when his own people won't listen to him. His lips were unfit for public speaking. 
But God gives Aaron and Moses a charge. <laughs> God just kind of ignores them. He said, we've been down this road before. Just keep doing what I'm telling you to do. In verse 13, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron and gave them a charge unto the children of Israel and unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. He said, Moses, I'm not even going to acknowledge your inability. I'm not even going to acknowledge the problem with your lips. I'm not going to acknowledge the fact that Israel's not listening. Stop looking at your circumstances. Stop looking at yourself and just keep going forward and doing what I'm telling you to do. And so if we're going to find the confidence to go forward with God's plan, it's not going to be found in us. But we also need to realize that the confidence to go forward with God's plan cannot be found in other people either. At this juncture of the narrative, the narrative actually stops. <laughs> it almost leaves you like a cliffhanger. What's going to happen next? You know, and it goes to a commercial break or, or when you're watching a show and you got to wait the next week, you know, and then you got this interval in between. That's kind of the sense that you get. Why in the world does he decide to put here a genealogical record? <laughs> this seems weird. It seems out of place. But the reality is, is what it reminds us of is the fact that Moses is recording these events for the specific readers that he is recording them for. It's good for us oftentimes to go back and remember who were the first readers of these narrative accounts. Who were the first readers of these books of the law? Well, it was the, the children of Israel who have been through 40 years in the wilderness. They, some of them were brought up through the Red Sea. Some of them have vague childhood memories of the plagues and those kind of things. But what has happened is their parents' unbelief kept their parents' generation from going in to the promised land. And so now you've got this generation who all they have ever known is Moses and Aaron. That's all they've ever known. Moses is their spiritual leader. Aaron is their high priest. But now because of Moses and Aaron's unbelief, they can't go into the promised land. And so now their nation is in transition. Transition from Moses to Joshua. But it's also in transition. Aaron actually has already passed away by the time that they are reading these accounts. But what, what happens is uh, Eleazar, Aaron's son, has come on the scene. And he has begun to be the high priest. But then there's also another young man who's the son of Eleazar by the name of Phineas. There it goes. It's making me come down further. So you've got... Moses and Aaron, they're passing off the scene. Joshua is coming on the scene. Eleazar is already on the scene, but Eleazar is quickly becoming an old man. And now they're going to be going into the promised land in a transition of leadership, not really sure of how this is going to go. Their confidence is in Moses and Aaron. And so because their confidence is in Moses and Aaron, that is the context that he gives this genealogical record uh, in, in here. And, and I want to, what I want to do is I want to put a couple things up here on the screen. We didn't read the entire genealogical record and this is why. <laughs> These are a lot of names. This is quite a family tree up here. And so, of course, the genealogical record starts with uh, Reuben and then it goes to Simeon and it gives them. But you'll notice up here, there's just one generation mentioned of each of them and the genealogical record gives no more information. It's almost like he was going, get it, going through Reuben and Simeon to get to Levi. Because Reuben was the firstborn, Simeon the secondborn, and Levi the, the thirdborn. 
But what you're going to what you're going to find in the focus here is that it has nothing to do with Reuben and Simeon, and it has little to do with the rest of the Levitical tribe. There's actually I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take out the peripheral names so that we can see in this very tree the focus of this genealogical record, and it's really just these. What you have here is you've got Levi, of course, born of Israel. And Levi has a son, Kohath. And Kohath has a son, Amram. And Amram has a son, Aaron. And Aaron has a son, Eleazar. And Eleazar has a son, Phinehas. As you look at this genealogical record, from going all the way back to the founding fathers, the 12 tribes, from Levi, whether it's Levi, Reuben, and Simeon, the farthest this goes is to Phineas. And so this shows you the other ones were really to get them to this place. And I, I guess I should have left up there Moses and Aaron too, because that's a key to understanding this, okay? Now, the question here is, why give this genealogical record? Well, their confidence. Where's it at right now? Moses and Aaron. Aaron's already gone. Moses is soon to be gone. There's going to be this transition to Joshua from Moses. But there's also going to be a transition in spiritual leaders from Aaron to Eleazar. Eleazar is already in place as the high priest right now. But then after Eleazar, there's a young man by the name of Phineas. Phineas actually becomes quite a household name on his own right. By the time that they are reading this. He's already a prominent figure in Israelite history. Because what happens is in Numbers chapter 25, you've got a, uh, you've got a, a basically it's the fallout of the whole Balaam and his donkey thing. <laughs> that Balaam could not curse the children of Israel, but Balaam evidently counsels and takes money uh, to counsel Balak, the king of the Moabites. I can't curse them, but I know how you can get God angry with them. <laughs> Send Midianite women. And they commit whoredoms with the Midianite women. And a plague breaks out among the children of Israel. And what happens is you've got this Israelite man who takes a Midianite woman into the tabernacle, the tent of God. And Phinehas, the priest at this time, he sees this happening. He takes a javelin. He goes in there and he sticks it through both of them. <laughs> Kills both the Israelite and the Midianite women. And it says that the wrath of God was turned away and the plague was stayed. God was pleased with what Phineas had done. It talks about how he was zealous for the Lord. And then what ends up happening in Numbers chapter 31 is Phineas leads an army of 12,000 to go and take out the Midianites for their part in this sin. The plague was just among the Israelites, but God was not going to let the Midianites go without justice either. And it was Phineas who was leading with the horns and he was leading them into the forefront of the battle. He's really become a national hero. And then what's going to happen is as they go into the promised land, uh, Eleazar serves as the priest until uh, as they're going in to conquer and through the division of the land. And shortly after the division of the land, he dies and is buried in the uh, area of Ephraim in a parcel that belonged to his son, Phineas. Phineas becomes the high priest. But what happens is when they go to settle, the Transjordan tribes, Reuben, uh, Gad, and the half tribe, uh, Reuben, yeah, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, uh, they have settled on the east side of Jordan. 
And what's happened is they build an altar at the, at the Jordan River, and their intention with this altar is that the children of Israel will not alienate them and say, you're not part of us. But the other tribes of Israel are thinking they're worshiping other gods. They're going to bring God's wrath against us. And so a civil war is about to break out, and Joshua sends Phinehas to intervene. And Phineas brings it to a solution and he calms everything down. And so Phineas is the high priest throughout the times of the judges. And the last time that we see Phineas come into play is in Judges chapter 20, after the Benjamites have assaulted and violently uh, um, abused a woman to her death, that all the other tribes catch word of this and they go to fight against the Benjamites and they're defeated the first time and they're defeated the second time. And then it's Phineas who goes and stands before the ark of the Lord and he says, Lord, should we go and fight them again? And the Lord says, go. And he promised victory and God gave them the victory. And 1 Chronicles chapter 9 and verse 20 tells us that Phineas was a ruler uh, among the Israelites in time past. And it says this, and the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. By the time the nation of Israel is reading this account, what they already know is this. The Lord is with Phineas. The Lord is with Phineas. What Moses is doing here is he is bringing this, this genealogical record in to show them you are concerned that we are passing off the scene and you're not sure how it's going to go with Joshua and Eleazar and Phinehas, but I want you to know this. It's not about man. It's not about us. It's not about Moses and Aaron. If you haven't noticed, Moses has not really painted himself in the greatest light here in the beginning of Exodus. He himself was a murderer, buried the Egyptian in the sand. He was a runaway for 40 years, cared nothing about the people of God who, who were in, in deep bondage to Pharaoh. He was a failure. He made excuses. I can't talk. God gave him Aaron. He said, oh Lord, uh, here am I, send somebody else. He hasn't painted himself in the best light, has he? Perhaps that's for a reason. So that for these people who have only seen the good side of Moses, they've, they only as children vaguely remember Aaron making golden calves. Most of what they have seen is the priesthood. Most of what they have seen is the tabernacle, the fire of God coming down on Sinai. Most of what they have seen of Moses and Aaron has been good. They've seen God work miracles through them, bringing water out of a rock and manna from heaven and quail out of nowhere. They've seen the good side of Moses and Aaron. And now they're thinking, these guys are going to be gone. How are we going to go forward with God's plan here? And here's what God is saying. It doesn't matter if it's Moses and Aaron look where we came from Levi not the firstborn not even the secondborn the thirdborn the one who in cohorts with Simeon murdered an entire city in Shechem we're not from Judah we're not from Joseph there's nothing special about our tribe where we came from and I want you to know this look at Eleazar look at Phineas. 
They're pretty good people. You know the Lord is with Phineas. He led you into that battle 12,000 strong and you lost not one single soldier. Why? The Lord was with him. It's not about man. So don't put your confidence in man. I love in verse 26, it says, these are that Aaron and Moses. (laughs) Yeah, it's those guys (laughs) that God said to speak to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Nothing big, nothing special, nothing important about them. He wants them to understand this. You won't find the confidence to go forward by looking to men who are just like you. Men who are fallen, men who are weak, men who are faithless. I mentioned before that I'm not great when it comes to working on cars. You know, every time I try to fix something, I break three other things. And so if you're in need of car help, I'm probably not the guy you want to talk to, you know? Why would you trust somebody who has the same issues as you? That's what Moses is trying to get across to them. Why would you, why would you trust? Don't put your confidence in people who are just like you. And so uh, when we're facing a problem and we can't seem to get through it, uh, God's plan doesn't seem to be working and we have no more confidence within ourselves. our natural tendency is to take our problem to people who are just like us, people who have been through the same thing, people who are going through the same thing. We're talking about people who have the same fallen nature, the same fears, the same doubts, the same limitations, hoping that they'll maybe get us through. We turn to credit card companies to bail us out of a financial jam. Uh, we, we turn to self-help books and seminars and YouTube tutorials. And you might look to your, even a pastor for a solution and he gives you the deer and the headlights look like, I have no idea how to help you in this situation. You can be like that. You can turn to psychologists and therapists to try to find the help that you need. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with those things. There's a multitude of safety, in, or there's ca- uh, safety in a multitude of counselors is what the Bible says. And so I'm not saying those things, but the reality is that oftentimes we put our confidence in people who are made up of the same stuff as us. And what we're supposed to get from this is that we can't find confidence in ourselves but we also can't find confidence in other people. Why? Because other people are failures too. Sometimes other people will fail you personally. You'll take their advice and it'll go south. You'll speak to them in confidence and they'll blab it to somebody else. They betray your trust. We're we're people who are frail, people who are weak. And so the question then is this, if we can't find confidence in ourselves and we can't find confidence in other people, then where do we find our confidence? Well, the only way to find confidence to go forward is to find it in God. As simplistic as that is, it's the truth that God wants us to get. Verse 28 picks up the, the narrative where it left off that the Lord comes and speaks to Moses and says, go and speak to Pharaoh again. And Moses says, they wouldn't hear me. Why will Pharaoh hear me? I'm of uncircumcised lips. And God gives his response in chapter seven, verse one. He says, and the Lord said unto Moses, see, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh. Now, let me just explain this. God is not putting deity in Moses, <laughs> He is not literally making Moses a God. It's that Moses is going to stand before Pharaoh as God's representative. That he's going to stand before Pharaoh in a way that portrays 
who God is and what God is doing. In other words, Moses is going to take his rod and he's going to put it on the uh, river and he's to do that in the name of God so that Pharaoh will know who Moses' God is and that water is going to turn into blood. And he's to stretch out his staff and the hail's going to come or the frogs are going to come and all these things are going to come. What it means is that Moses, as he stands before Pharaoh, it's going to be as though Pharaoh is looking at God and he's going to see the power of God manifested through the human agent of Moses. He says, I've given you Aaron, thy brother. He shall be thy prophet. He says, thou shalt speak all that I command thee. And Aaron, thy brother, shall speak unto Pharaoh that he send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that I may lay my hand upon Egypt. You ever had to lay hands on somebody? (laughs) Not talking about in the spiritual way. We're talking about in the, I'm going to whoop you way. You know, if somebody comes and attacks my kids, I'm going to lay my hands on them. He says, I'm going to lay my hands on Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Understand, this is not any new information, is it? (laughs) In fact, this is probably the third or fourth time that God has said almost literally exact same words to Moses. And so every time Moses comes to God and he says, well, the people aren't believing me. He says, you go and tell them, and this is what I'm going to do. Pharaoh isn't listening to me. You're not doing what you said to do. Look, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. He goes and tells Israel, he's going to free you. He's going to redeem you. He's going to adopt you. He's going to give you an inheritance. And and they won't listen to him. And Moses is saying, they're not listening to me. Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. And God says, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. And what happens is in verse number seven or eight, six, it says, and Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them So did they at the age of 80 and 83 years old. They went in courageously with newfound confidence and told Pharaoh, let God's people go or he's going to bring his judgments against you. See, when Moses and Aaron are reminded of God's faithfulness to his word, they found the confidence to go forward with God's plan and they do what God says. What God's telling them is this, look, you've got all the excuses. You got all the failures. You've got all the reservations. You've got no confidence, but I want you to understand your confidence isn't going to be in you and your confidence isn't going to be in other people. Your confidence needs to be in me because I will do what I said I will do. And it was that affirmation God is going to do what he said that gave them the confidence to go forward with God's plan. And so what we find is this, that God gave Moses and Aaron the confidence to go forward with his plan by reminding them they were in his hands. They were in his hands. Not the hands of themselves. Not the hands of Pharaoh 
not the hands of Egypt, not the hands of Israel. They were in God's hands and God's hands are good hands. Since the 1980s, Allstate Insurance has run with that slogan, you're in good hands. <laughs> See, why is that important? Because when you're in good hands, you have the confidence to go forward. Right? I don't know about you, but anytime you got to deal with your insurance company, you never know how that's going to go. <laughs> you know, you pour in money and money and money, whether it's health insurance or car insurance or life insurance or, or housing insurance, you, you pay in your money month after month after month after month. You send them thousands and thousands of dollars. And then in the random happenstance that your house burns down, you got to make that call to them and say, I wonder how this is going to go. Are they going to be there for me or are they going to be against me? Or when the hail comes down and destroys your roof or destroys your car, you got to make that call. So that's why Allstate, at the end of all of their commercials, they ask that question. Are you in good hands? <laughs> why? Because being in good hands gives you the confidence to go forward. Listen, when it comes to doing God's will, you're in God's hands. And God's hands are good hands. You see, God has your best intentions in mind. He wants what's best for you. He's a, a good God. He knows what you need. He knows how much you need. He knows exactly when you need it. He's a God who knows the end from the beginning. How, how could Moses and Aaron be so certain that God was going to do what he said he was going to do? Well, it's because God is not bound by time. He does not exist within time. And so at the same time, God is right here. He sees the bondage. He sees Pharaoh. He sees the discouragement of Israel. He sees the lack of confidence in Moses and Aaron. And God's sitting here not fretting, not wringing his hands, not worried about what's going on. Because at the very same time, he already sees the plagues coming down. And he already sees Israel escaping. And he already sees Israel on Mount Sinai. And he already sees Israel enjoying the promised land. God already saw it all from the beginning. And so Moses and Aaron could have that confidence. And I want you to know he's still the same. God in your life. The I am still is. He still sees the end from the beginning. He still sees the end of your car trouble. And he sees the end of your house rebuilt. And he sees the end of your job situation. And he sees the end of your marriage, your relationship, and how that's going to end in marriage. He already sees that happening. God sees everything we don't see. And when God makes a promise every single time, he does what he says. We even have the benefit of hindsight. Think about it for a minute. Israel has received this promise from God that he's going to deliver them. So now their leaders come and they stand before Pharaoh. And now Pharaoh is making life absolutely miserable on them. They have not yet seen God work. They don't know the end from the beginning. And yet we can come and we can open this Bible and we can read that everything God said he was going to do, God actually did. Even up to this very day, he did uh, call the nation of Israel and he did use them to bring the Savior into the world. And that Savior did come and die on the cross and fulfill the mission of Isaiah 53. And he did provide salvation, not just for the nation of Israel, but for all the world. And he did rise from the dead, just as the Old Testament speaks of as well. And so we still 
have the promise out in the future that he's going to come back. And as we look through the Bible, we see promise after promise after promise after promise fulfilled by a God who is faithful to his word. And if he's been faithful to everything up to this point, what makes you think he won't be faithful to you? Whatever he's called you to do, whatever he's brought you to, he's also going to bring you through. That's what he wants them to get. It's not about putting confidence in yourself. It's not about putting confidence in your leaders. That's not where you're going to find the confidence to go forward. Where you're going to find the confidence to go forward is by remembering your life is in God's hands. And God's hands are good hands. They are faithful hands. They are eternal hands. They are secure hands. And when you realize your life is in God's hands, you can have the confidence to go forward with God's plans. When we were at that hatchery, we're watching all those fish You know, and they're just going and falling and going and falling and going and falling. And they just keep going and going and going. And then eventually you'll see one. And he makes it. <laughs> Gets up that thing. And on the top, there are still waters. And that fish gets in there and he just rests. See, here's what we find in our lives. A lot of times we're swimming upstream. And it's tough and it's rugged. It's challenging. Momentum's against you. Satan is fighting you. Your family is fighting you. Your job is fighting you. Your money is fighting you. Your car is fighting you. Your house is fighting you. And you're just trying to do what God said. You're trying to give. You're trying to show love to your wife. You're trying to show respect to your husband. You're trying to be a good father. You're trying to be a good mother and a grandparent and trying to be good children. And you're trying to read your Bible and you're trying to pray and you're trying to do everything that God is calling you to do. And it just feels like an uphill climb or a swimming upstream and it's so challenging and so difficult but what God wants us to get tonight is this just keep swimming just keep climbing even when you're short on breath even when your legs are getting weak even when your heart is getting discouraged even when your confidence is at an all-time low when church attendance isn't working, just keep going to church. When reading your Bible doesn't seem to be helping, just keep reading your Bible. When your prayers aren't being answered, just keep praying. When tithing doesn't seem to be making any difference, just keep tithing. Just keep giving to missions. When everything that you're trying to do for God doesn't seem to be working, just keep doing what God said to do. Much easier said than done. Because as we're jumping and smacking our heads and beating our head against the wall, you know that idiom, they say that doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting different results is insanity. Sometimes you can feel like you're insane for trying to follow God the way that you are constantly over and over and over again. And it's at those times when nothing's working out, that's when your confidence is in an all-time low. 
How do you find the confidence to just keep doing what God said? You find the confidence to go forward with God's plans by remembering you're in God's hands. So trust him and keep doing what he's told you to do. Father, we come to you tonight thankful for the encouragement that you've given us once again from your word, that you're a faithful God, that you are gracious to us, full of compassion, kindness. You're exactly the help that we need when we don't feel like we can go forward. Father, I don't know what everybody's going through tonight or maybe even those tuning in by live stream, but it truly can feel like at times we're trying to do your will but making no progress. And I pray that you'd help us to ever be mindful the hands in whom we are. And I pray that we would rest in the security, the strength, and the help that you provide when we've got nothing to bring to the table. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.